there, and welcome to You Love to See It, Fanbyte's movie review podcast. Every month, we pick a theme. Every week, we watch a movie. And then we decide where its VHS tape belongs in our delightful neighborhood video store. We'll judge if it's got enough bite and tentacles to latch onto our distinguished staff pick shelf, if it's got just enough axe skills to carve up a spot in our cozy middle aisle, or if it is nothing but a joker playing card stuck to a bicycle wheel and therefore earns a spot in our smelly, unsanitary dumpster where peanut butter is illegal and bucket hats are mandatory. Stop trying to make bucket hats happen again, youths. Bucket hats are not happening. Working the counter today, we have yours truly, Fernanda, oh no, not the carpenter's patches, and my fellow no-nonsense fraud investigator, Danielle, realistic depiction of New England Briandu. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm real excited for this one. We're going to have fun today. <laughs> I, I am, I'm confused and excited, which <laughs> is the best day to be, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also just like to clarify that I love the Carpenters, okay? This was not a dig at the Carpenters. Karen Carpenter had the voice of an angel. A yes. talent taken away too soon. But yes. I digress. That has nothing to do with the theme of this <laughs> movie. I mean, everything has something to do with this movie, if you think about yeah, it. It's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's. we'll leave the Carpenters uh, for another day. But first... Before we get into the movie at hand, let's remind uh, our listeners of what we're doing this month. For the next four weeks, we kindly request that you relinquish your current belief system on behalf of our fresher, superior ideology. We request that you give up your individuality and basic human needs for the sake of fulfilling our higher level collective vision. We kindly ask that you cut off the negative influences who are not yet enlightened enough to understand the power of our teachings and follow us, your kind, generous leaders, in a month we've been divinely inspired to call Join Us June. In other words, let's talk about cults, baby. And this week, we are blurring the lines between reality and creepy crawly fiction with 1994's In the Mouth of Madness. This one will drive you absolutely mad. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demands of Sutter Kane's novel In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Who's the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> We are 
are about to fly into our very first segment called Setting the Scene, in which we introduce the movie at hand and have a little spoiler-free chat about our history, about our backgrounds with it. But first, to those unfamiliar with the story of this John Carpenter flick, here's a brief summary. In the Mouth of Madness tells the story of what happens when you let a middle-aged white dude wield too much power and influence over people. In this case, the dude in question is Sutter Kane, a pulp horror novelist who mysteriously disappears just as his hysterical fans start getting onto some real weird shit. As insurance investigator John Trent sets out to uncover what he believes is simply a publicity stunt, his very idea of reality starts giving way to a much more disturbing one. The movie heavily references Stephen King and pays homage to the work of virulent racist and xenophobe H.P. Lovecraft. But we'll get into all of that in due time. First, we will move on with our setting the scene segment. And in order to do that, I will ask my wonderful co-host, Danielle, tell me about your story with In the Mouth of Darkness. And since this was your your choice, why did you feel like it would be a good pick for us for our joinous June month? Yes, yes. Well, thank you. I have a long and storied history with it, but I will make it brief. Uh, I've seen it a few times. It was the third I mean, it, it chronologically came out this way, but that's not how, you know, I saw them. But this is the last mm-hmm. one that I saw out of uh, Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, which is The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and Into the Mouth of Madness, which are all movies that, like, surmise or, like, a way you can tr- interpret the ending of each one is, like, oh, the world ends. Like, that's kind of the the, <laughs> the thing <laughs> like here. like in a chill way. <laughs> not like in a chill way. And they're not, like, oh, you have to interpret it this way, but, like, that's kind mm-hmm. of the... You know, the thing that appears to be happening uh, sort of thing. I adore Carpenter. I adore mm-hmm. these movies in particular. I love all three of these movies so much that it's slightly ridiculous. And like, while I think The Thing is maybe one of the most perfect movies ever made in the history of the universe, and it's probably like the best kind of easily, mm-hmm. I, I don't know which one is my favorite on like a given day of these three movies. They're all so deeply, deeply weird and have such amazing visuals and have such amazing direction and are just such a pleasure for me to watch each one of these. Yeah. Uh, again, they're all pretty deranged and scary, but <laughs> but in like a very fun way as a horror fan. I am a yeah. giant horror dork. So, you know, it kind of goes with the territory. Uh, but I, I think this is the most surreal of the three. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I kind of love it a lot. And I figured this was like a, a slightly different way of looking at cults. Yeah. Um, Another movie that was like up for contention was Mandy, which is a little bit more of like a straight up horror movie about a bad cult that does a bad thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that was really fun, too. And we should do that at some point. But this is almost more there's a cult aspect to this. Uh, I won't spoil anything, but there's like a straight up cult aspect to it of like, oh, uh, you know, cultist town folk kind of thing, which is like a very common sort of, uh, you know, eldritch horror thing, like a Lovecraft thing. But it also is very, 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 very directly about like a cult of personality, which I thought was yeah. a fun twist, maybe, on kind of what we're doing here in Join Us. Yeah. So long story short, that's how I how I came to this. And I also realized we had done it before on the podcast, way too late into the process. But I kind of want to do it with you because we do this so differently than the way the show used to run that yeah. I'm like genuinely very excited to do it uh, this way with our new format in our video store. 
I uh, I don't really have a, a history with it. As you were saying, the Spider the uh, Apocalypse trilogy, and the only one I had watched previously was The Thing, sure. which came into my life like criminally late. I watched it like <laughs> months ago. And oh, I was, wow. And I okay. was so like upset of myself that I <laughs> I was I was delighted because I was like, oh, I'm 32. You 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 think at this point of your life, you've you've seen all the wonders. You've <laughs> or, seen all the good most stuff. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the wonders of the 90s have presented themselves to you already. And yeah. I was like happy that I got to experience that for the first time. But also I was like, how did it take me this long? Because like you said, I think it's <laughs> It really is a damn, like, it's a near-perfect movie. But I am not a John Carpenter person. What I what I mean about that is not that I don't like uh, John Carpenter. I do. I'm not a monster. But, like, I feel like there's <laughs> people who can appreciate John Carpenter casually and John Carpenter people, which sure. you might <laughs> fit into that category. I'm like a half, I, for half of his movies, yes. And for the other yeah. half, I'm kind of like, eh. Can take it or leave apparently it. Like, there's for some this real... trilogy, yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because apparently there's some real stinkers that I haven't, like ghosts of something. Ghosts Isn't of Mars. Escape? I've never ghosts even seen Mars. Ghosts from Mars. Ghosts I... of Mars. <laughs> I just said Ghosts from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is, I was just watching yeah. a YouTube video talking about this one, and they mentioned it in a very unflattering way. Yeah. And um, in the mouth of madness is uh from what i understood kind of controversial like some people but it's interesting most most things i saw were people who really like it talking about how there are a lot of people who don't like it i have yet to see the people who <laughs> sure. don't like it uh, i saw that roger ebert uh uh at the time the the like the critique wasn't great it wasn't terrible either it was kind of like yeah i don't i don't love it but anyway yeah so i i I really didn't, I didn't even know of this movie, to be perfectly honest. It's mm. very like, I'm interested in our conversation, but I'm also like, I feel like I, I'm lacking a lot of the cultural context to see this movie the way it deserves to be seen. Like, I've never read a Stephen King book in my life. Obviously, I've seen a lot of the of the movies, but I've never sure. read a book. And uh, with H.P. Lovecraft, like, you can't really escape his influence in yeah. horror, like it's it's very much just there. Uh, but my knowledge of him specifically was that he fucking sucked. Like that's yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> and like that's very very much worth saying. Like with anything inspired by his work, like he sucks, and there's no two ways about it. He's a horrible, horrible, horrible racist. Like there's just no two ways about it. He sucks. Like Dude, thing I, to say at the top here, basically, yeah. I had Bad read like person. I knew that he was like racist, and shit and fuck, and 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 everything else. Like he was bigoted, but then yesterday, like as I got a little bit deeper. It was way worse than I oh, thought. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so it's bad. That's some horrific shit. I literally ran into this joke quiz that I didn't take, uh, but I feel like I would fail called Lovecraft or Hitler. And it was like quotes and you had to oh. figure out who said which. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. I came into it from an actually a very good uh, Vox piece that was sort of talking about Lovecraft Country, which I also have never watched. Hmm. That sort of subverts uh, the overt uh, racism that is 
not only was not only his personal view, but uh, that a lot of people uh, say that it actually is reflected in his work, which again, I can't say because I'm not really familiar with the work itself, only the reflections in pop culture. But I digress. Yes, that yeah. is. Uh, so I, long story short, I had no history whatsoever with the movie, came into it not really knowing what to expect. And I still don't know what I watched. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I have questions. Yeah. I was just, (laughs) we were just discussing this before the show. Uh, just kind of talking about how I ended up off as usual, reading some things and watching some things with this movie. I feel like I played myself watching it just yesterday. I think I needed more time to kind of dig into it a little, uh, better, but that I read a few things right? Like sometimes that's what's fun about our show. Like there are times we go into a week and I've watched the movie and I've taken my notes and Mm -hmm. I've seen your notes and I don't know what I think about it. And then I know what I think about it once we talk about it. And sometimes it's fun too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, (laughs) that's, it, it is fun and like better than maybe just coming in with a bunch of preconceived ideas. If you're stupid and I didn't value your opinion, <laughs> that would probably be the case. <laughs> but I happen to think you're very smart, so yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's because we have mutual respect that it works. <laughs> right, yeah. but yeah. So I, I read a few things and watched a few videos and stuff on YouTube that are supposed to like kind of help you unpack, and I just got more confused. <laughs> Maybe because I think a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions that uh, seem to vary widely among themselves so this should be interesting this should be interesting but we'll get into all of that we'll get into all of that soon as we enter our second segment of the show the segment that we like to call stripping it down Stripping it down as a reminder, or for those of you who have not been here before, hello, welcome to our delightful neighborhood video store. Stripping it down is a second section of the show, and it's when we get into specific aspects of the plot, of the characters, little things otherwise known as spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie yet and you don't like being spoiled about the movie, maybe stop listening now. Or don't. (laughs) We're charismatic enough that I feel like we can get over that. Maybe go watch the movie. It's not that long. It's less than two hours, so it won't take much to, uh, take up too much of your time. Uh, but yes, it's the section where we get into the nitty gritty of the movie and really dive into um, the stuff. And there's a lot of stuff with this one. There's an oh, abundance yeah. of stuff, an embarrassment <laughs> of riches of stuff, a very rich text. <laughs> Uh, so much so that I have a tough time even knowing uh, where to <laughs> to begin. Uh, sure. I was I, I as we mentioned since this is the theme of the movie and we talked a little bit about this uh, in the intro. This is a month about cults, and I remember when you suggested the movie, I was like, "Oh, so is there a cult?" And you mentioned, "Oh, yeah, the townspeople uh, are cultists." And as, and I'm watching the movie, and I'm like. I don't see it. 
<laughs> do I? I mean, are they? Because they're kind of... So the story, basically, this writer, Sutter Kane, who is kind of like a Stephen King-like uh, figure, he his fans are going freaking berserk uh, after reading his books. And there's a book that has yet to be released. And uh, this investigator ends up in this fictional town, which, again, is a reference to Stephen King because he has Castle Rock. This is uh, Hobbs End. Yeah. And... Um, he runs into this town that doesn't really exist. And there's an old lady who ties her naked husband to her feet, which go off queen. <laughs> <laughs> Live your truth. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag girl boss. By the way, that's the same actress that Seinfeld steals a rye from in Seinfeld. And I'm sorry to keep bringing Seinfeld references into this show. Why but would I can't you be sorry myself. about that? Fernanda? It's, I feel like sorry? it's, it's one of my basic bitch uh, aspects, I, I feel. live in Brooklyn, and <laughs> I don't know, Paul also lives in Brooklyn, and maybe I just run in different circles, but I feel like people talk about Seinfeld, even if they were themselves too young to actually watch it. I remember yeah. actually watching it, like, in the 90s as a kid. But, like, yeah. I feel like people still have Seinfeld in their collective brain space, so I don't, I don't think you should feel bad about it. I feel like I still have, like, at least a good five years before, like... Maybe forever. Gen Z maybe, years, hopefully. <laughs> maybe Seinfeld is forever. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Gen Zers will come into it like they did bucket hats. Um, right. Yeah. Which we've established. No. No. Everybody talks about the low rise jeans, but nobody talks about the problem of the bucket hats. Yeah. <laughs> we need to address this as a society. It really is a whole ass thing. <laughs> there was a bucket hat on Star Trek strange new worlds recently and it was like a punchline and it was beautiful and i thought that was the right way to handle bucket hats but anyway i I now digress (laughs) (laughs) so they're (laughs) back to the movie at hand um they they end up in this he when i say it's uh john trent played uh absolutely wonderfully by sam neill there's just really no argument uh there he's just fucking spectacular in this movie but uh he and a fellow and a a person from the publisher um get into this town etc and they they run into the townspeople who are kind of monster people like but they are that's the thing when you said that they're cultists i was thinking but are they or are they just figments of kane's imagination oh both they're and, and also, and they're also real because Kane has brought them into the world because the things he writes come to pass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is a, yes, that is true. But it's it's funny. The more I dig into it, the more I'm like, oh my god! I feel like there is. I keep trying to get to a universal truth about this movie, and I feel like that's only going to lead me to frustration because it's not what it's about. But. <laughs> There is that aspect. And obvious, and there is a bigger, more obvious aspect of the sort of like what you mentioned in the yeah. intro, the cult of personality type thing, right? Because this is a horror writer who basically leads his fans to craziness uh, with his work. And um, later I was reading up and apparently Michael DeLuca, the writer, uh, was inspired by both uh, Stephen King and Ron L. Hubbard Mm -hmm. to create this character. And then it was like it started clicking a little more. Um, 
and let's let's other ideas. I feel like when Sutter um is talking about when when the the I forgot her name, the lady, the publisher lady. Oh um, yeah. Here, I'll I'll find it. Oh, what was your lady who goes yeah. into Hobbs End with uh, Sam Neill, even though he was very weirdly harassy with her next to an yeah. elevator early in the movies. Um, but he was, she has, they have this conversation about reality and the idea of how Linda reality is kind of like a convention, right? Like what yeah. feels normal and real to us only feels that way because all the people around us, act a certain way that that looks real. And then once that changes, you know, the very idea of reality kind of changes with it. Um, and you kind of have that conversation with Kane himself. Kane doesn't appear a lot, but he appears as sort of like profound character. And he talks about religion. And you kind of get that sort of, and I think there's an underlying theme about the power of groupthink, even though I'm grappling with kind of like how much of that is a criticism and how much of that is kind of like satire with this hysteria around pop culture. It's a lot to unpack, but, um, and on this specifically, this cult front, uh, I found this little tidbit on a website called Cinephilia and Beyond uh, that I thought was interesting and kind of yes. spoke to that. And I'm going to quote, but although Cain references the Bible as a work of fiction that provided fertile ground for the creation of one such shared reality, the very plot outline of In the Mouth of Madness, minus the elements of cosmic horror, greatly resembles the trajectory of Val Ron Hubbard's claim to fame, just as the Luca had mentioned. Hubbard, a pulp fiction novelist of the 1950s, went as far as founding an entire religion based on his fictional material, and his readers followed suit. The repercussions, influences, and dangers of one such phenomenon are obvious to everyone and anyone who took the time to learn about Scientology, its methods and belief system, as well as, as its SF endgame. In that respect, it is rather unsettling to realize that a great many people in today's world are, in all actuality, living out the premise of In the Mouth of Madness, making the Luca and Carpenter's 90s movie as contemporary as ever, meaning that not only did madness age well, but it was also way ahead of its time. And I wanted to pick your brain on that, uh, Danielle, because that to me that feels like such a serious read. Of, like I can see it, and it 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 seems like insightful and legit. But at the same time, it feels like such a somber read of this. Like in at at, at points, I'm kind of like I don't really know if that's a central critique. I think it's less serious than that. I think it's more of like a commentary on people who take pop culture way too seriously. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I think, okay. So I, I'm of multiple minds here, as well as, of course, <clears throat> enjoying this movie as its own, like, pulpy, ridiculous thing. This mm -hmm. is also, like, to, to be clear, I want to situate this. This is also right around the same time as Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I think was the year after, which was also a movie where a huge part of the plot is about the screenwriter writing the movie itself. Mm -hmm. Like, and things coming to a head as reality is happening. And there's another really fantastic horror series called, it's French. I can't pronounce anything in French, but it's like Marianne. <laughs> like Marianne, but I can't, I can't say <laughs> but in French. anything in French. Pardon my French, Marianne. <laughs> I love you. <so. laughs> Which is about a horror novelist or graphic novelist. I think a novelist who is writing things and they come to pass. They become real. Like this is very much mm. like a thing in horror. It's like a, a plot in horror of like, oh, the, you know, the, 
balance between reality and fiction not being yeah. as you know clear as we think they are and the fact that everything is perception so you could absolutely perceive something and be completely completely believing something absolutely wild which is yeah. to me like a really 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 terrifying idea as somebody with OCD because what you do in OCD is you get caught in your worst thoughts and your like worst mm-hmm. nightmare thoughts and think they're real basically or are afraid that they're real yeah. And also like the best thing in the world, because then I get to watch that in a movie and feel like I'm not crazy because, oh, yeah, other people have these ideas, too. Look, I get to see this in a safe way. So, again, I talked about this a little bit about horror is catharsis last week, and it's hugely important for me in terms of like the ideas about mind and surreality and construction of reality. So this is part of why I love this shit so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's one part of it. Like, I love that this movie is saying like. I don't know what's fucking real. You, do you think it's fucking real? We break the fourth wall. We have a bunch yeah. of that kind of going on. And it's not like extended fourth wall breaking, which I find really cloying and annoying. It actually feels very purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, really does feel like, okay, well, we're creating reality here. This writer yeah. is creating reality, is is bringing forth things into the world that came out of his head. And maybe that came from somewhere else. But like it came out of his head, his pen, whatever, his typewriter, his creepy writing room. <laughs> His creepy church writing room, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And into the world. And that is reality. It is part of reality. It's part of a shared reality that we all have. Um, So I'm very, 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 very attracted to that idea. And I also see it as like, I think this movie is partially a critique of that Mm -hmm. and partially a critique of the sort of cult of personality. Um, Carpenter at this point was already like a big director. Um, You know, he's, you could see this as him making fun of himself a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's obviously so much more, you know, the very direct influences about, you know, Stephen King and L. Ron Hubbard and these things are very, very obviously, um, you know, sort of referenced here. But, you know, we're, they also talk about movie deals <laughs> a little bit in this yeah. in this movie and things like that. And, oh, making the movie and, oh, we're doing this with this. And also Sam Neill had already been uh, in some horror performances. Now, his best horror performance, you might say, is Event Horizon. That will be a few years from here. But he had already been in um, The Omen. Is it The Omen 3? All right. Well, Colin knows and, <laughs> and a bunch of us know, but he was already like in a really, really scary movie. He's a really intense actor. He was already in possession. Like he's he's so intense that he can pull this off. So there's like, all these kind of things working here. This idea of it being maybe even a little bit in fashion uh, to do horror as reality or things that, you know, a creative person comes up with being real, um, which is inherently scary to a horror creative, right? Like you make scary things. It's probably scary to think about what if the scary things in my head are real? <laughs> like, what have I done kind of thing, right? Like, have I brought monsters into the world inadvertently? Um, and again, <laughs> like maybe not literally, but it, working metaphorically, like did I bring something shitty into the world? <laughs> yeah. Uh, on one level, And on another level, being a little bit funny and a little bit playful and a little bit flippant with some of this stuff, right? Like, it does feel like, and this is something, um, Dia Lassina and Cameron Kunzelman had a really amazing column recently, and it was about Elden Ring, which is a video game, which has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. this. But they referenced this movie, and they referenced a sequence in this movie when they were talking about, like, pastiche. And the sequence in this movie that they referenced was when um, Trent figures out that the album, not the album cover, sorry, the book covers themselves are like the key to figuring out yeah. the map to like finding something, which is such a video mm-hmm. game ass thing. And like, 
what a fucking idea. Like, you're putting together puzzle pieces. Well, that's what this movie feels like. Not like you're sitting there putting together a puzzle piece, but, like, Carpenter himself put together a bunch of pieces. Like, all right, we've got cosmic horror here. We've got what is reality and horror writers here. We've got some satire here. We've got some, you know, gently poking fun at Stephen King here. We've got our creature feature kind of shit here. Like, he's throwing all this stuff into a delicious mix. And I think for some people it doesn't gel together perfectly. Yeah. But because I personally love all these ingredients so much, I fucking love it. And I think it's a delicious chowder of horror. There's even like a little sprinkle of like Charlton Heston plays this uh, publisher who sees that, you know, the work of this author is wreaking havoc. And his thought is very much like nobody's going to consider not printing it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it sells so well. Yeah. So like humanity is like destroying itself. Uh, maybe, possibly, who knows, because of the work of this author and all he can think about is retrieving this copy of the next book so he can make more billions. So there's that yep. too. And yep. there's an element also of the sort of author himself right because i was trying to figure out is he a villain like is Sutter kane a villain is he creating this reality did he send the manuscript with uh john trent to warn people about what was going to happen mm-hmm. but then again if that's the thing that he wrote then you know like i was yeah. that was me yeah. the entire movie i'm like am i am i stupid is this complicated <laughs> is this supposed to be ambiguous uh am i just reading too much into it uh so i feel like and that in itself is interesting because it's a like i said it's kind of a short movie that packs a lot and i feel like it it kind of can be a a kind of your own like your choose your own adventure kind of (laughs) mental trip uh in a way but one aspect that i like about the and and interestingly enough i saw one I, i was watching a youtube video uh discussing sort of the the I think the name was the real horror of um, in the mouth of madness. And they they compared it to adaptation, the Nicolas Cage movie and sort of like the horror of that kind of creation. And it's, it's interesting. I can't, I won't do it justice, but like, it's an interesting video to check out because it offers this avenue that I wouldn't have thought of myself, but I kind of like this sort of the idea of the author, this kind of like concept of the author himself uh, being less a person than a concept and the cult of like personality, quote unquote, being less about the personality and more about the product, right? Like the author becomes his work at that stage of his popularity, like his ideas. And that is very well exemplified in the scene where he kind of dies, dissolves into pages. Yeah. Um, and from what I read, that was like a plan B type thing because they wanted to like dissolve or like swallow up the entire city or something more grandiose, but they didn't have the budget for it. <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah. like, <laughs> that was like their, their uh, other solution. And I think it worked uh, really well too. It's another little like thread that I feel like you can follow in the movie. I thought that the Sutter King character himself was very interesting, like very ambiguous, um, like the rest of the movie. Uh, but like you said, I feel like what makes it a winner is that, okay, even if you don't want to go into all of those mental rabbit holes, you can just focus on the how entertaining it is. 
Yes. Because it very much is, right? Like, it's a movie that really, um, I can understand why people would feel, why it would be, like, divisive in opinions, because it is convoluted. There is a lot going on. Like, there are a lot of elements that, like you said, maybe don't gel that well together. Um, but at the same time, like, it has this very, like, creepy, unsettling factor that it doesn't feel forced. Like a lot of movies try really hard to achieve an effect that seems very effortless uh, here. And it's also fun. Uh, So that is an achievement, right? Like, (laughs) I don't know. I am obsessed with like these little details. Like I mentioned the scene where Mrs. Pickman, this old lady who owns an inn has like a naked husband attached to her. Like I'll never (laughs) forget seeing that in my life. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like what what a scene. But also like feel like one of the highlights of the movie, and I saw a lot of people highlighting it. I think it's very striking is the scene where we get the, uh, ex, the first ex murderer, uh, coming toward, uh, John Trent that is just having a conference. Like there's this calm conversation going on in a coffee shop in a window. And you see this person with an ax as all like chaos unfolds outside. And then these, like this calm Scene, this calm protected scene and the chaos collide violently when the axe like rips through the window. It's very like that scene I thought was just like one of the touches that make this like very uh, interesting. And of course, like you can't escape the visuals and it's something that you have here on your yeah. notes. And I wanted to talk to you about that sort of like the visual richness of it all like the effects everything else like how do you feel like all of that holds up now in 2022 really well on the whole um a lot of these like practical effects just look so fucking good and so gross sometimes Mm -hmm. and so real slash surreal i almost feel like surreal is a better word to use here because it's like it's not like it's real it's not like something you think you'd encounter necessarily in your waking life but it does look like it came out of an actual nightmare that you've had like that's Mm -hmm. the sort of aesthetic like it has texture and it has feeling and it has weight and has things like that i love the like the monster wall (laughs) like the the port you know like like, the idea is portals and monster holes and things like that just I, I kind of love it. And I also am always going to be interested and down for movies that tr- are trying to visualize things that are very difficult to visualize. Like, how do you visualize reality breaking? How do you visualize, yeah. uh, you know, monster walls? How do you visualize, you know, like a lot of the ideas of, I mean, Lovecraft sucks. Again, just saying it, Lovecraft absolutely <laughs> sucks. But some of the ideas of cosmic horror are like, it's just unknowable to us. We don't mm-hmm. have the sensory ability to like fully imagine a lot of these these kinds of monsters so like you know a lot of the stuff is like oh you know cthulhu is tentacle man or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like creatures of the deep of some kind like some sort of alien thing that we can't fully visualize and that's why i love watching a director who's good um yeah visualizing absolutely banana pants fucking things like <laughs> the thing or like Satan in the Prince of Darkness or like all, all kinds of evil and all kinds yeah. of fucked up things. Like it's why I like these three movies so much because they are always, always, always entertaining, even when they are ne- not necessarily entirely coherent mm-hmm. <laughs> and they always are visually arresting. It, it, they always look amazing uh, to kind of behold and they always kind of give you something to hang on to. 
Maybe that's another thing I like about horror is it gives you something to hang on to for all the bad feelings that you can't necessarily name. You can't yeah. necessarily visualize yourself. It's like, here's a visual to go with that. Not that it's like comforting to think about these horrible things, but it's comforting to attach something to these horrible things. It's not just a feeling. Now you have something to kind of like associate with it. Um, I, I get that. I agree. Yeah, I think yeah. it's kind. It is kind of comforting, right? Like, and you can also project it. It's like sometimes yes. you can't really verbalize exactly what it is that you're uh, feeling or the twisted inner workings of your brain, and you see that on screen, and it gives you something to kind of like it gives you a representation of that that maybe you couldn't have come up with yourself. So that is comforting in a way, yeah. I think. And you could share that with another person. Like I yeah. couldn't necessarily share. All of the, I'm a relatively creative person. I like to write mm -hmm. stupid screenplays and all kinds of stuff, but I couldn't necessarily share the way things look in my mm -hmm. head sometimes with another person. When, when we're talking about like, obviously when we're talking about concepts like this, not just like, oh, you know, walk down the street, but more or less something like, what does my fear look like? What does my anxiety look like? Here you go. Here's shared visual language to like give to other people and be like that. That's what it feels like. They're right see there. See all these tentacles? Yeah. You see, see those tentacles? That's what it looks like. Yeah. It's like all the, the teeth and the tentacles. Yes. Yeah. The like wrapped yeah. around your brain. Like, yep. yeah. Exactly. Like, again, some of this does feel very not grounded. And part of what makes this go down so well is how entertaining of a movie it is. And I do think yeah. if um, I'd probably be down for this even without all of that because I'm me. But I, I think this is like a really fun and interesting horror movie for anybody who is interested yeah. in this type of thing, partially because of Sam Neill and partially because of like, it moves pretty fast. It does. We are yeah. moving right along. And like mm -hmm. each sequence kind of takes place in, again, I, I don't want to say it feels like a real place, but it feels like a specific place. The way each, each kind of area of the movie is like, if you know, at first we're in normal life in a town and then we're in a Hobbs end. That's weird. And we have these these like very clear transitions of when we move from one kind of psychic space to another. And then obviously mm -hmm. everything's much more jumbled in the end. And obviously the asylum sets are very, very distinct as well. But it really does feel like you are moving through this with the speed of a roller coaster, but you know yeah. exactly what way you're going. You know exactly where you're heading to. You know exactly when a transition has been made and something else is happening. You don't necessarily know what it is, but you know something else is happening. And there's something clear and, again, kind of comforting about that um, yeah. that I think is like a pretty nice guide through the madness, <laughs> so to speak. It is. Uh, I was reading a like a thing on filmthreat.com, and it was an interview with John Carpenter that I don't know if it's theirs because like it was formatted all weird. Uh, but he was saying that what attracted him, apparently he was supposed to direct it and then what it like didn't want to anymore and somebody else was going to do it. And then it was him, like there was a thing, but um, he was talking about how uh, he was interested in the sort of classic uh, format of the script, because it's kind of like you see, the first thing you see is that John Trent uh, has gone mad. Uh, yeah. 
And you jump from right le- that scene to him being like the super straight lace, like no nonsense guy who like specializes in cutting through the bullshit and seeing <laughs> yeah. like things in a very rational way. So it immediately sets you your brain up to like, okay, what happened from this? Things went from zero to a hundred real quick with this guy. So <laughs> this, uh, so it sets you up in a very classically like interesting way of like. You, you're curious to hear how this unfolds, right? It's a very smart yeah. and, like I said, classic little setup that really gives you room to explore this and to move at the pace that it does because we already know how it's going to end. And like I said, you're never... I'm very easily bored uh, <laughs> watching, doing anything. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's part of my personality and part the fact that we exist in a world where... Being bored seems like the absolute worst thing that can happen to a human person, which is why we're always scrolling through something and keeping our brains occupied. Because God forbid we're left alone with our own thoughts for a single second. But uh, we'll think about I think about this shit. That's for- why. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me scroll. Let me let me listen to my podcasts. They distract me from the pain of being. That's what it of is. Just existing in this corporeal form. Uh, but yeah, wrong. so. Hmm? I said you ain't wrong, but please go ahead. But <laughs> <laughs> so we digress. Uh, but again, I feel like this is the kind of movie that really lends itself also to to this kind of like existential projection as well. Even in the move in the part where. You can think about like self-determination, right? In a certain way. You can go like up to religion. You can go up to all these things because there is this like idea of how it really doesn't matter what these people do because they were written to do certain things, right? Uh, there's a so there's this scene where um content warning uh <laughs> here for uh suicide. But yeah, there's a scene where this guy um in the the town one of the townsfolk who is trying kind of trying to warn John Trent that, you know, get out of here. We're all going cuckoo. Um and he kills himself. And uh when John Trent tries to tries to stop it, he's like, I have no option. Like I was written that he wrote me this way. Mm-hmm. And uh in a way John Trent is also just doing what is written for him, right? And that to me, again, it's very, uh, another very smart scene. And a lot of the the richness of this movie for me are these little smart choices is when he's staring into the sort of abyss uh, with the pages and it's dark and he's like... um, fellow lady publisher person. I'm so sorry, lady. I, I, I think it's name. Linda. I think it's Linda, right? Could Linda? be. She looks like a Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just make up that her name is Linda? <laughs> she, could, she could pass for a Linda. Uh, let me look. It's Linda. You are okay, correct. Okay. <laughs> you are correct. I was going to really laugh at myself. If I'm just like, oh, Linda. And it's like, it's not Linda. <laughs> we should do this with movies moving forward. We just decide what they look like. It's just like, <laughs> that's it's your Kevin and Linda. <laughs> yeah, right. You're Craig now. Which is okay, like the, yeah, you're Craig. Yeah. the biggest punishment we can inflict upon a. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Craig's. <laughs> I'm sorry, Craig. I saw something mocking Craig's recently, and I haven't like been able to get the thought out of my mind that. Oh yeah. 
that being it's a Craig there. is just a curse. But I'm sorry if you're a cool Craig. Um, I'm not American. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> I, ju I just get to randomly play the Brazilian card uh, on the show sometimes. It's yeah. a power I like to think I wield responsibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you have that, that sort of idea he's staring into the abyss and he's getting this, like his fate sort of read into him. And he understands that, you know, he's not making his own choices. He's the choices are being made for him. He was written in that way. And I don't know. I was like, and then he goes back to reality and yeah, there's nothing he can do about the impending doom. And the movie ends with him in a movie theater, watching the movie of his life, which is also the movie of the book, I guess. And he just laughs hysterically. And I'm like, is he laughing? Because he realizes like, it's all pointless and we're all going to die. And there really is no self-determination. Is he laughing because he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm confused. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah, what do you think yeah. about that final scene of him in the movie theater, just laughing hysterically as his very fucked up last few weeks, days, I don't know, unfold in front of him. Yeah, I mean, so I always read this as like, well, this is the usual stand-in for someone who's losing their mind so they're laughing really hard. Like, that happens in, like, so many movies. It's, like, kind it's of a cliche, summer, right? right? Such a, like, we Twilight Zone thing. Mm -hmm. like, a, like, oh, he lost his mind. Ah, ha, ha. You know, like, it's, like, a very ridiculous, like... I don't even know where it comes from. I, I'm, I'm sure there's like some sort of academic literature about like, why does madness equal laughter in movies? Like, why, why, why do we do this? I'm sure there's like a deep history of it. I'm sure there's something yeah. there to it. I do not know what it is. I, Paul went to film school. I went to film school. I, I truly don't recall ever, you know, encountering this, but I'm sure it's a thing, right? So I've always kind of read it like that. And also as a, like, a stress response, I've done this before. Sometimes yeah. I cry. Sometimes when I'm the most stressed I've ever been in my goddamn life, everything is funny and I laugh at it. And sometimes I just cry because that's that's a thing that I will do as well. And that's, like, part of it. Like, you're just so stressed. You, your brain cannot handle the enormity of what you're faced with. And you just laugh at it. You just cry. They do this in Titanic where Billy Zane starts laughing because he put the diamond on the girl and he put the girl on the boat. You remember this happening? He starts yep. cracking up at that. It's like kind of feels like that to me. And again, I don't know if it's like, oh, the most like did Carpenter say, listen, Sammy boy. You know, speaking to Sam Neill. <laughs> this is how I imagine he speaks to Sam Neill. <laughs> listen, listen up, Sammy, Sammy boy. boy. Listen, Sammy Boy, I want you to laugh like it's the funniest shit you've ever seen in your life. The fact that your life is a joke in a movie. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that was like a specific direction or like Sam Neill was like, I've done this horror thing before. I've gone all the way to 10. I've gone all the way to 11. Let me go all the way to 11 with a laugh. I don't know. But it is yeah. worth thinking about. And like, if I could get my 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 dear friend Sammy Boy here for an interview, <laughs> it is a question I would ask him. I would like to know. Because that's such a specific choice. Again, it feels yeah. like a lot of things that happen in these types of movies, this type of fiction. But like, was he specifically asked or did he just think, hey, that's a great idea. I should laugh a lot. <laughs> right? Like sometimes <laughs> I, I wonder, like as we are unpacking and ascribing all these profound meanings to things, uh, if like directors and writers and actors and stuff are just sitting there like, you know what? I just... We didn't know how to end the movie. So I laughed. So <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so like, so I cracked up. 
to just do whatever. Razzle dazzle them. Uh, right. <laughs> and, that, and then what, what they'll do is what they've seen a thousand times before, right? In a thousand other movies, in a thousand other horror, you yeah. know, movie things where it's like, oh, this just fits here. Ha ha ha. Like <laughs> that could be it sometimes. That could be. Just laugh and let people like think yeah. what they want to think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the budget, we're out of, the budget ran out. We, uh, we can't like continue the apocalypse from here. <laughs> so let's just leave it. Sam, we need you to laugh really hard. Okay. <laughs> we ran out of we ran out of budget. Uh we were supposed to I feel like they were supposed to have what the city like collapsing on it. There was supposed to be some ridiculous visual. I don't remember exactly what it was, and they just kind of ran out of budget. <laughs> it like, yeah. It's kinda yep. it's what I was saying. Like apparently that's what happened when they decided to go with him, like sort of uh, with Sutter Kane sort of devolve, dissolving into paper. Ah, uh, yes. Instead of the eating whatever the... I don't know why I think of it as a whole and eating. That might not be correct, but yeah, something. Yeah, I read something to that effect, like that the idea was to have a more grandiose thing, but it works. Again, like just very smart little choices, but... It's always like whenever I go into these rabbit holes, especially with the show, right? Because sometimes when I'm just watching a movie, just watch a movie, I'm not even like wasting a lot of my energy trying to figure it out. And then when (laughs) when we do the show, obviously we have to talk about it. And I'm like racking my brain like... How, where are we going to go with this? Like, and, and, and every now and then I'm like, you know what? I bet if the director, whatever writer heard this, they'd be like, what is this bitch even saying? Like, I wasn't even, <laughs> <laughs> I was just doing a thing <laughs> that I wanted to do. It's really I mean, honestly, right? There, I, there's like a 50-50 chance. That it's, I don't fucking know. We were tired. I had two hours left that day. We have, you know, my cinematographer had the runs. Like, we had to go, dude. Or, or you know, I, I just watched a, a, a documentary with William Friedkin on The Exorcist, and he goes into, like, staggering, excruciating detail about one scene where it's, like, the conversation at tea with the cop and the mom. Like, every, the yeah. tiniest, like, glimpse over the shoulder, like, had meaning for him. So it's, like... It's, mm-hmm. it's going to go either way for every single thing that's ever been in a movie, right? It's either, yep. you know, John had the runs and you had to go real fast, <laughs> you know, or, oh, I put, you know, 15 years of thought into this, like, You're right. one second sequence. Like, it's it's going to go either way for every decision. Um, yeah. And that's another thing I truly love about filmmaking. Like, it's such yeah. a, a, it is such a deeply, 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 deeply problematic creative field because it's it's so run by money and it's so inaccessible to most people right like most people cannot be hollywood filmmakers obviously most people now actually have access to i don't want to say most but a lot of people have access to some sort of video production now which is pretty fucking cool and different from the way life always was but like in terms of like a commercial piece of film that will be seen by Mm -hmm. millions of people it's very 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 inaccessible and very Mm -hmm. expensive and very problematic and very capitalistic however yeah. Even within that horrible framework, there are all these millions of little decisions that go into everything that you see on a screen. And again, some of them are just absolute compromises and absolute, you know, like the infamous, there's supposed to be a whole thing in Indiana Jones and he was sick. So they just shot him. Like things like that, right? Like they're <laughs> like, you know, everything sucked that day. The lighting wasn't good. Somebody was sick. Somebody threw up right before. You just had to do it. Like every yeah, single the weather those, turned. Yeah, like anything could have gone wrong and goes wrong all the time on productions because they're such like pressure cookers of creative um, yeah, like endeavors because everything can and will go wrong 
because there's so many moving pieces and it's expensive. Therefore, some of these creative decisions will be terrible and <laughs> some of them will be amazing. And what we get is always some kind of combination of that. Yeah. I, I am going off the deep end on this movie. I hope no, that's appropriate because this movie is a deep end movie. But like, if I'm going way too far into space, let me know. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you because literally like 10 minutes before we start, I'm like, where am I even like taking this? Because as you have noticed, we take turns hosting, right? <laughs> as you listener may or may not have noticed, we you take turns hosting the show. And I was like, okay, I have to. <laughs> Pretty sure you realized that by now. Um, but... <laughs> You know, like, you know, when we when we host, we sort of guide the conversation. And usually, like, I have a clear idea of where to go. And today I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do like this movie and just like go unexpected places. One part of this, uh, this we are talking about the sort of tension and, and the compromises and just the, the backstage of the creative process. And now I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but that I I'm watching The Offer. Um, oh, OK. Yeah which is about the making of The Godfather. I yes. will have to read up to know how much of it is, like, true. Uh, it's obviously based on true events, but I'm sure they fictionalize some of it to make it more interesting. But um, there's a lot of that, of this element that you were just discussing, Danielle, yeah. that I find very interesting. And it will, it will also boil down to the creative minds behind it, right? Like, in the show, they portray uh, Francis Ford Coppola as, like, this guy who was very like set on his vision and set on his mm. ways and had, you know, very deliberate uh, thoughts behind every scene. And I'm sure not all, and, and it talks a lot about the tension, the producer played by Miles Teller trying to help make this vision come to life and reconcile it with the money reality, with the studio, with the actual literal mafia. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, very interesting. Uh, the shows are interesting, but I'm sure that's not a lot. Uh, that's not how every director, producer, creative mind go about their processes. I'm sure there are directors who are much more micromanagers and others who just kind of let the things let things go and want to keep things more open. Uh, my understanding is that John Carpenter is like a more ambiguous director in the general sense. Um, so this this kind of comes across in this. I'm actually curious to see. I'm going to watch The Prince of Darkness for sure, um, yes. but also a little more of what he did to kind of like, and then I'll, I want to go back and revisit this in my mind and be like, what makes more sense? I like to think that the final laughing scene is kind of like him being freed of sort of the prison, a prison of his own created reality. Sure. Because he was this super uptight, stuffy guy who, you know, like just had things very much under control and fancied himself a person who, you know, was very much like had a very good grasp on his surroundings. And then that, you know, letting go of all of that and just like accepting the absurdity and sort of the doom of it all was kind of freeing in a way. So that's kind of yeah. like where my mind goes with that final scene. Honestly, I love it. I love it so much. Everything to him was a scam. Everything to him was a construction. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, nothing's, nothing's that 
that literal of a construction. Everything is constructed by something far more terrifying and, and, and absolutely incomprehensible. So fuck it, man. Let's laugh. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> Chill. Nothing's real and we're all doomed. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Because there is comfort in this kind of nihilism. I feel like I'm an optimistic nihilist in that sense. For real. <laughs> You like, can look at things like depressingly, like nothing makes sense, or you can be cheerful about it. Nothing makes sense. Like, you know what? Nothing makes sense, but uh, we can laugh at least, you know, and uh, maybe we can like hang out with hot Linda. I don't know. <laughs> Even if she's like turning her head and like her body in various strange ways. I mean, she's just yeah. flexible. Good on her. <laughs> Listen, that would be really useful in jujitsu. Okay. This is what I think about every time. Every time somebody's supposed to be horrifying when somebody's flexible, I'm like, oh, that'd be so useful for omoplatos. Like, oh my God, that'd be so fun. <laughs> this lady could get out of anything. It's like, for real. <laughs> this is what I think of. Can't help my brain. I suppose that I, that's another, a big one here. We just can't help our brains. Okay? True. We should be nice to each other. However, we can't help our brains. So mm-hmm. let's let's keep that in mind as we move forward through the world. And if you can avoid uh, writing a book that turns into reality and destroys humankind, I don't know, maybe. Right, like, just destroy capitalism. Like, can you just write that book and be like, listen, everybody <laughs> shares resources in a in a nice way and nobody's an asshole. Wow, what a cool reality that would be. Thanks, Sutter. <sighs> That's the main takeaway. If you do have the power to bend reality, use it. To destroy capitalism and bucket hats. The end. <laughs> uh, before we actually get to the end, Danielle, is there anything else uh, you want to discuss about the movie? No, I'm very happy with that. I, I like that we did a freeform one and I feel good about the conclusions that we reached, like the one that you just made. We went places. We really did. And I'm, I'm always very happy for the ride. It's always a fun ride here at our uh, delightful neighborhood video store. Uh, and we're not on acid. This is a sober. I don't know if that's better or worse. I honestly I'm don't on, know either. Yeah. I don't know. I'm on Monster, which is a drug in itself, uh, yeah. but nothing illegal. Yeah. FBI person listening to this. So. <laughs> Half of our listeners from the FBI. <laughs> yes, along with our magical book writing listeners and the yeah. uh, shy millionaire listener who has yet to shower us uh, with great fortune mm. um, and monetary. Because we can want to abolish capitalism and also be showered with great fortunes. We contain multitudes, right. I mean, as we've it's, established. It's like if if we have to live in capitalism, you can give us the money. But if we don't, <laughs> then we won't need it anyway. So it's fine. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, so either, either way. way. We're cool. We're flexible. Uh, So I guess with that, we are ready to move into our third and final segment of the show, which we like to call Shelf Life. Here we are at Shelf Life, which is where we decide where this movie belongs in our delightful neighborhood video store. We decide if it's a bona fide staff pick to be displayed 
proudly for all to see if it's a, a, a totally fine, totally cool middle aisle placement or if it needs to be sent straight into the dumpster out back. I kind of have a feeling where you're going to go here, yeah, Danielle, I but I, I must ask anyway, where <laughs> are you putting this in our video store? All signs point to me ripping up all the book covers and putting them together and putting it on our staff pick shelf, baby. <laughs> Ooh, okay. uh, for I me, it's a staff pick, but I will absolutely respect it. If you're feeling really middle aisle, I will respect that. But for me, I really love this movie. So um, mm. I, it's a it's a pick for me. And we have we have a thing for this, too. Like we have the little like stamps of approval Stamps. from each of us. So yeah. just in case, you know, nobody has to be left out. I would put it in a middle aisle with yeah, a stamp, with the Danielle stamp. Because then I feel like people, it's like people know what a Danielle pick entails. Yes, they do. So it's like they'll know what they're getting themselves into. And if somebody comes to me to ask about it, I'll be like, you know what? I could tell you, but we have the expert right here. Danielle, <laughs> come enlighten our renter. And they'll probably leave with like the whole trilogy could be a cool experience. So, I, yeah, for me, it's a middle aisle with a distinction. Yeah, I'm good okay. with that. As long as okay. I get to put my little stamp on it, I'm happy. I'm a happy. You have you have the little stamp. We, we need yeah. to we need to come up with the stamps. Yeah, if I was like, true. if I had any graphic designing skills whatsoever, I mean, like any, uh, I would do it. <laughs> Honestly, we could ask Sanam to do it. Maybe we will. Our graphic Maybe. designer at the site. We might. I don't want to give her too much to do, but like, hey, you know. Maybe. <laughs> just, just a little stem. We'll think yeah. about it. We'll think yeah. about it. So, yes, yeah, so I like I like that we came to a somewhat uh, easy conclusion to a very yeah. complicated <laughs> movie. <laughs> I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this very weird journey with us i feel like it, it prepares you to for the movie itself because it is it is also a very uh confusing and meandering journey that can be very satisfying if you just relax and go with it so that is all for this week our dear dear listeners but please stick around after i'm done with our outro for mail time when we will get to read some discord highlights and a brand new listener email yes we had a bit of an issue with our email uh for a little time there but it's been fixed so you can absolutely email at us at you love to see I, i'm saying you love to see it at fanbyte.com to make it easier but it's actually the initials so if you want to send us an email we are at yltsi at fanbyte.com i repeat yltsi at fanbyte.com we would love to get your reviews your recommendations your comments your general feedback uh, maybe we'll get to read it on our show and we would also love it if you join our discord channel like i said it's poppin I always say like a very how do you do fellow kids term to describe our discord but I promise it's not as pathetic as I make it sound we have a lot of cool chats uh, about the show there so we would love it if you could join us there before I, uh, we, we move on I'd like to thank you my beautiful co-host for joining me today I want to thank you at home for listening I want to thank our producer Paul brains flush down the toilet to Mayo for all the help in making the show not only not suck but also kind of rule 
other than joining the conversation via email or discord you can also do us a solid by going over there on apple podcasts and rating and reviewing us or rating us on spotify it really goes a long way in helping us all out i guess that is all for this week as far as the show goes Again, stick around for a little bit as we read our mail. But until next time, you'll love to see it. time we got this email from hans uh talking about our episode on once upon a time in hollywood also a part of join us june and here is this lovely email great episode i agree that overall it's a pretty good movie but yeah that bruce lee scene is crap it really doesn't develop cliff's character outside of showing his cocky and can fight both of which get covered plenty elsewhere in the movie all it gives you is a cheap hey it's that guy pop and makes lee look bad for no reason plus the other problem the movie have is has is being a bit too long so cutting that scene kind of kills two birds with one stone i do wish you had brought up burt reynolds and hell need him though need him is that how you say it see this is why i shouldn't have brought them up dear uh listener hans because i don't even uh know who that person is uh but continuing with the email they're loosely the basis for rick and cliff hal was bird's close friend and frequent stuntman and when hal's wife at the time kicked him out he didn't kill her just got divorced honestly a better a better alternative uh, if you're asking me You know, uh, as a general rule, (laughs) he ended up living with Bert for several years. Bert was an aging cowboy actor in the dying days of TV Westerns who struggled for a while, taking bit parts on other shows and headed to Europe to start in a spaghetti Western. Bert was originally cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as George Spahn, but died before filming started. They even made sure to use the episode of the FBI that Bert gets started where they edited Leo into that old footage. Uh, And then uh, this wonderful listeners sent us a link with a side-by-side that someone put together a little video anyway i love the show keep up the good work and then they recommended um an episode of you must remember this another podcast which i actually have uh listened to quite a few times um and they recommended a well-produced they called a well-produced in-depth series on Manson, the family their connection to hollywood through the beach boys tate and polanski the murderous trials and everything else so if you're interested in that, there's an episode of You Must Remember This um, on Charles Minson whole stuff. We really appreciate this email. Like we have limited time. Obviously, we can't discuss everything. Um, I wasn't really familiar with the story. So I appreciate you bringing it up. Wonderful listener. Uh, wish we had many, many hours uh, to talk about, to cover every aspect of it. But this is appreciated. Uh, and we have a little Discord comment. Danielle, do you want to read this one by Carlos? I would absolutely love to read this. This one is from Carlos uh, from the Discord, pronouns he, him. And this is on the Midsummer episode that we just did. Also, in Join Us June. 
Uh, So Carlos says, just finished the episode and something that y'all touched on, but I did want to bring up a bit more was actually how much of this cult was rooted in Nazism and basically fascist ideologies about capital M mothers and capital W women. Uh, There's a scene in either the director's cut or the regular cut where Josh jokingly points out that one of the runes used by the cult is a Nazi swastika, which is like the most overt, yeah, these people are Nazis thing. But the Nazis have also been shown in popular media like this, uh, this sort of wild fascination with mysticism and the occult, think like Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Spear of Destiny, Hellboy, and the Wolfenstein games. But a huge thing that tipped me off after like my third watch of this movie was how they viewed women and mothers, uh, not only how they viewed women and mothers, but also old people. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's the very obvious gendered approach to the culture that they have where men are made to be field laborers and women are doing cooking and cleaning type stuff, but also in the exalted status of women, Uh, but specifically the home and hearth type of woman. The May Queen, which, yeah, okay, so many pagan things have a Mother Earth type figure, is quite literally one of the most important things to these people and is given to women. Uh, The role is, of course, connected to nurturing, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the very conservative and fascist idea of exalting women, but specifically making sure it is a single type of existence that is connected to the home. Uh, One of the big leaders in the cult is a lady, which is also connected to that exaltation. But boy, the way old people are treated. Uh, So like any fascist power structure, uh, you're only as good as the labor you're able to produce. So, of course, when somebody's 72 years old and can't be a laborer for the men or have kids slash raise kids for the women, you're of no use to the system and have to be killed. It's wild how much this is like any fascist system, but so much of the movie is like, damn, look at these folks who are basically Nazis. It's so, so wild. And I also think adds to the insidious nature of the ending. Yeah, she's fallen into a cult, but she's also fallen into a fascist structure. It's so wild. Other than that, loved this episode. Thank you so much, Carlos. Huge agree there. And I feel like on our you know second or third watch, whatever it was for all of us, we all kind of were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially by the end, like just how fascist and just how absolutely yeah. fucked up. And that's really, really good context. And we appreciate you pointing that out for us. Uh, thank yeah. you very much, Carlos. He did a very good job because we kind of went into sort of like, is this a white supremacist cult? And like the fascism Yeah, we were kind of like, I think it is. I think it is. But like, this is very good to have the actual, you know, here it is written out. This is exactly how it is. So, yes, thank you. Exactly. Very, very good insight. There is a lot more good insight at Discord, by the way, where you can find over at fanbyte.casa. And again, you can reach out via email Y-L-T-S-I at fanbyte.com. It's all going to be in the show notes. So don't worry if you didn't memorize all of it. Please keep in touch. We love to we love to see it. We love to hear it. We love to talk to you. And we would love to read your comments on our next show. So please send them over. And that'll be it again for this week. See you next time. Until then, you love to see it.